Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. I'll shake hands on my own time. I appreciate that. But hopefully this week is a time of celebration for all of us. Uh, Hopefully you have some plans or something, at least maybe a little bit of time off. What I will say today is certainly there's a lot of things to celebrate. There's a lot of things that that, uh, we can celebrate as Americans, but we we certainly recognize uh, in that passage, just that short video, uh, the the freedom that we have to be able to come to a place uh, right here in this space or perhaps joining online and uh, to worship our God freely in this country. And I believe that's something where we, we say thank you to those who have served and continue to serve and those who have given even their greatest full life, their, their own life, the greatest measure of devotion uh, to our country, to that freedom as well. So I just want to take a moment. If you're here today and you're active duty or perhaps you've served in the past, if you just stand and we want to show our appreciation to you. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Thank you for what you do. Well, as we continue in this series, I am, uh, I'm excited about, uh, I, I think I say that every week, I'm excited about this week. I hope that you are too. I um, hope that you come with a little bit of an anticipation of what the Spirit has for you. Certainly when I, when I prepare and I put things together, I'm not coming to bring you anything. I'm coming uh, to be the vessel to which the Spirit can speak to you. And so uh, as we read the text together, as we embrace other forms of worship this morning through song and through fellowship and through giving, may this not be a time where you come and get served or expect something to be given to you, but may this be a time where channels are open so that God can truly speak, so that he can, he can embrace you in a way that he wants you to learn and to grow and to know him in a greater way, and, and you can be open to that. And so uh, this morning as we move forward, I am excited and I have an anticipation today that God is going to continue to speak as we uh, are, are faithful and obedient and put things aside so that uh, we might hear him in, in a more clear way. Uh, as we've walked through this series so far, we're, we're moving through. We're on number four. We're looking specifically today. If you have your bulletin, you notice on the front of that, uh, we're, con- we're working through the Toward Self Guides and Helps to Holy Living. And I'll just say this outright. I've said it the last couple of weeks, but uh, these are not ways to, to get God to love you better. These are not uh, channels for salvation. In fact, these are not even ways or, or things that are required of salvation. Instead, these are outcomes. This is what would happen. This is what does happen when we step forward faithfully and obediently to say yes to God. We, we give up things of this world. We step forward to, to embrace him in a greater way. And some of them are spiritual disciplines. Some are simply ways that we can engage him by getting rid of things in our life that may distract us. But certainly in all of this, we recognize that salvation is not a, 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 an action. Salvation is not something on our part, I should say. Salvation is not something that we do or that we earn. Salvation is a, is a gift that we receive from God. And the outcome from that oftentimes are ways that we can attempt to live uh, according to his will. So I'll say this, um, growing up, probably many of you can recognize or, or uh, have recognized that growing up there are responsibilities, and as you grow there are more responsibilities. Perhaps as a child you had chores that you had to do around your house, and for me I, I had chores that I had to do. Certainly I remember having to clean my room, I remember having to fold laundry and put it away. I remember specifically having to do the dishes on a a rotation basis. We didn't have a dishwasher. The dishwasher was myself and my three sisters. And so we had these different things that we had to do. But the, the, the most 
enjoyable and the least enjoyable chore that I had to do was taking out the trash. Anybody have to take out the trash? Okay, so for us, taking out the trash meant at our house I had to go around and collect all the trash from all the different rooms, then go out to the garage and collect, put it all together, and then collect all the big trash, so to speak, and then take it out to the curb so that the, the garbage men could get it uh, the day before we'd take it out, and then the next morning they come and get it. And I will tell you, this was a uh, kind of a love-hate or a bittersweet type chore for me, and here's the reason why. I learned at an early age that there is very little trash in the world. Anybody starting to catch my drift here? So another man or one man's trash is another man's, to me, even now, almost everything is treasure. I could find use with anything. And my wife will tell you, and she even does this, when I go away to work or if I have to go on a trip, oftentimes I come back and much of my treasure has been stolen by pirates. It is gone. It's not around anymore because I find treasure in many things. In fact, there are things that I look at and think, man, I, I could do something with that. I, I need that thing. I, I want that thing. And so, I mean, I, I, would, I would keep the things that, that most people would throw away. In fact, we had that work day a couple of weeks ago, and I was part of the throwaway crew. And, and I turned around at one time, and the guys were laughing at me because I was pulling something out of the dumpster and putting it in the back of my truck. I'm like, no, I could use this. I really think this scrap of wood would be, you know, it's useful. When I lived in South Dakota in Brookings, they had this thing called uh, Spring Clean or Big Trash Week, where during the week you could put anything you wanted out front on the curb, anything, you know, freezers and, and you know, any kind of appliance, furniture, and they would come and take it away. And for myself and a couple other people that you know, had the same mindset, this was like, this is the, the, the last frontier for treasure hunting. We would go from door to door with our trucks and we would pick up anything we could get only to find it on our own lawn by the end of the week because our wives would say no. But we would, we would pick up all the trash. And I think sometimes in life we get to a certain place as we walk through life, maybe you know, just specifically spiritually, but maybe just in the, in the context of life, and we see items, we see things, we see things that we even hold on to, and we look at those with this recognition of there's value in that, or I need that thing. And as we look specifically on God's call for our lives and what he wants for us, sometimes he calls for us to put away what we consider treasures, but he recognizes as trash. Sometimes he sees things in our lives that we think, man, I can't live without this. I've got use for this. There's purpose for this. I'm going I'm to do something with this fear or this pride or maybe this item or this relationship. And God's saying, no, I want you to know that you need to put that away because that's just trash. Today we examine how to live life or live our lives towards self by demonstrating a positive Christian witness through abstaining of worldly vices, conflicting organizational alliances, and quite simply looking at trash. In fact, number four from the Wesleyan Discipline reads like this, demonstrate a positive social witness by abstaining from all forms of gambling, by abstaining from uses of and trafficking of products and sales of substances that are destructive to physical, mental, and spiritual health. Restraining from, from membership in societies with quasi-religious nature that divide Christian loyalty. And so what God's calling us to do, in essence, when we look specifically at the context of his, his scripture, his, his holy word to us, is that there are things in life that are damaging to us, which he would consider trash. And what he's calling us to do as believers is to live holy 
and, and, and honoring to him by putting those things aside or throwing those things out. When we look specifically at the heart of this, we, to fully embrace this, one disciple might uh, specifically look at it as uh, a, a, an opportunity to run away. Well, if we're going to, to live holy, if we're going to get rid of the trash, the best thing to do is to go run and hide in a cave and to get away from everything. But God's call is not for us to live in isolation. Instead, his call is for us as we step forward is to live holy. This week I was having breakfast with someone and, and this wise counsel came and, uh, from, from a, a, a very, um, um, somebody that I, I respect very well and somebody that, that was uh, attempting to try to, to, to share with me some very important information. And, and we talked about this concept of holiness. And as this wise man spoke to me, basically he talked about scripture, he talked about the burning bush, and he recognized the fact that, that God spoke to Moses and said, take off your sandals for your own holy ground. And as he, he talked about this, he didn't say, what made the ground holy? What made that space where Moses was standing holy? He said it wasn't the fact that it was, you know, some kind of uh, specific uh, location. It wasn't the fact that there was some kind of, uh, you know, nutrients in the, in, the, in the soil. Instead, he recognized that it was actually just dirt. At the same time, he, pulled, he called to question or he called to, to relevance the reality that you and I, we were, we were made. We were created out of dust, out of dirt to begin with. And so therefore, the, the man was actually dirt. And he said, what made this ground, what made this man, what made this dirt holy wasn't its location, wasn't anything it could do of itself. What made it holy was the presence of God. And the reality of the presence of God recognizes this, that if we are to live holy, if we are to be like Christ, if we are going to be holy in his presence, we need to recognize there must be an absence of the trash, the things that cause us to be separated from the goodness and the presence of God. In fact, the presence of God will not be found in the same place as sin. Psalm 5.4 reads like this, For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. And what the author here is saying, what David's saying is, look, the, the, the reality is that you can't have sin and God in the same place. You can't have darkness and light in the same place. And what God calls us to do, because he doesn't, he doesn't charge us to do these things. He doesn't say, oh, you have to do this. He doesn't force us to. He calls us to. When he calls us to throw out the trash, to get rid of the trash, he's not doing it because he's trying to punish us or he doesn't want us to have any fun in life. He's doing it because he wants us to experience his presence, real, lasting holiness. So how do we live holy in a world of distractions, temptations, lures, and enticements? I can tell you scripture is not silent on this question. In fact, the Holy Spirit gives many examples. And today we're going to read specifically from the book of Genesis. And we're going to read specifically about a story from a man who attempted to try to live a holy life, honoring and pleasing to God. If you want to turn there, you can turn and just put your finger at uh, just right there in the text on uh, Genesis 39, if you want to, to pull it up on your smart device, we're going to be in chapter 39, uh, verses 1 through 12. The story is about a man named Joseph, and Joseph uh, was one of, of 12 sons of Jacob. He was a, a man that uh, certainly, uh, he didn't choose his surroundings, he didn't choose his siblings, he didn't choose the, the world that he was born into. The world was happening already, he was born into that. And, and the, 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 the sad thing for him specifically is because of the favor that he had in the eyes of his father, uh, his brothers, many of them actually literally hated him. They were jealous of him. And 
And so eventually what took place is they sold him into slavery and he was shipped to Egypt, which is the natural route, right? Everybody knows that's what takes place now. You hate your sibling, you sell them to, no, that doesn't happen, right? So he, he was sold into slavery and he was shipped to Egypt. And the interesting thing was that God's favor did not uh, subside, didn't go away, didn't vanish from, from Joseph. Instead, it stayed with him. And, and he found favor, Joseph found favor in Egypt. He exercised supernatural powers that God had given him, interpreting dreams and, and, and revealing the truth around those that he was with, even in the context of the fact that it wasn't a, a spiritual Christian place. It wasn't a, for him, it wasn't a devout, God-fearing place. And so here in this specific situation, he was still faithful in the environment he was in. He was elevated by one of Pharaoh's officials, Potiphar, to a great position. And in this position, with his great favor, Joseph is thrust into a world of distractions, temptations, lures, and enticements. And so we're going to read from 20, 39, excuse me, I'm going to read from Genesis 39, 1 through 12, and then we're going to pull some specifics out of this as we embrace what it means to take out the trash. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. And so he'd been bought. He's now owned by the Egyptians. He's in this new, new, new environment, this new sect, and he's attempting to try to follow God in this new place. And the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his, eye, in his eyes and, be, and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in his house and in his fields. And so Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. And when Joseph, with Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. And so he gave all of this authority, all of this responsibility to even an outsider. But he recognized the favor of the Lord on Joseph. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. But one day, he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was, in, none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left the cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. And so we see this text, and certainly I'm kind of leaving us on a cliffhanger there. What happened next? We're going to get back to it, but let's walk through specifically the, the, the setting 
and the core of what's taken place here. We see specifically in the life and the example of Joseph what it might look like to live in a world full of distractions, full of lures, full of temptations. First, Joseph didn't choose his environment. It was assigned to him. He was actually sold into slavery. He was given this job. This was the place in which he was to, to serve and to go about his work. Likewise, he didn't choose the world that, uh, likewise, we don't choose the world that we live in. Oftentimes, we don't, we don't choose the work that we have. It's kind of chosen for us because of limited options, or maybe that's the family business. We don't choose our family that we're born into. We don't choose the, the, the environment that we have in many cases. In verses 1 through 6, the first part of 6, Joseph found favor. He was put in charge of much. God blessed Egypt while Joseph served in this role. To preemptively take out the trash, God calls us to be faithful in the season. If you're taking notes, certainly that's the core of it. To be faithful in the season, or perhaps more pointedly, to be faithful to God in the season. Because oftentimes God gives us a gift. God gives us the blessing. And he says, look, I want you to enjoy my goodness. I want you to enjoy my gift. I want you to enjoy what I am. But certainly enjoyment is not a self-sacrifice uh, or a self-pleasing thing. It's a self-sacrificing thing where we say, I'm going to give all that I am so that God can be uh, worshiped, glorified, and proclaimed. Last week's benediction was Colossians 3.17. It read like this, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Certainly Joseph's posture, his words, everything he was gave glory to God, giving thanks to him be filled with faith, to be a man or woman after God's own heart in the midst of your current season. Certainly the season uh, might look different based upon where we are, and I'm not talking just specifically about the, the seasons we walk through, winter and, 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 and spring and summer. No, I'm talking about the seasons of life where sometimes we walk through storms, sometimes we walk through difficulties, sometimes we walk through times of celebration or enjoyment. The season could be success, could be uh, one of freedom, in fact, I, I recognize specifically as we were talking about this idea of seasons that the reality of the season we're in now and, and the celebration we have as we talked about earlier, the, the celebration of the freedom that we have as a nation, I think specifically about those who served in the season in which they served in. Right? Perhaps you, you, you served in the military, you have a, a loved one that served in the military, perhaps you, you've heard stories from those who have served, and some in peacetime, some in wartime, and as you, you talk, you hear about the different seasons, the different places that they, in which they served, places where, where one might be deployed, another where they might carry the baton for a time, and I think about the seasons to which they were faithful to what they had been called to, what they'd been charged to, what they'd signed up for. I think about the reality that God has called us specifically now as his army, right? His, 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 his body, his, his, his church, his brothers and sisters, in, or the brothers and sisters in Christ under Christ the head, this recognition that God calls us now to this season to be faithful to his goodness. Not to, uh, in a battle where we take up physical arms, but in a spiritual battle. A spiritual battle that wages every single day for the heart and soul, not just of a, of a world or a country, or a state, but the battle for the heart of each person. To take out the trash, be faithful in the season. Second, we see the setup of a picture of Satan attempting to pollute the gifts of God. Get this. In the scripture, in uh, verses 6 uh, and 7, it says, uh, says that Joseph was well-built and handsome. 
Joseph was well-built and handsome. I, I love that the fact that, that, uh, that the, the author here, Moses, decided to, to put this there. He decided it was important to share this. As the Holy Spirit placed it on his heart, he said, you know, we need to make sure that we recognize that there were gifts given, so to speak, to Joseph. That uh, Joseph was blessed by God with this physique that he had. And perhaps, you know, as we look at this specifically with the addition of last week, we recognize that everything that we have, every tool that we have that God gives us, everything that we've been granted can be used as a gift for, for, for the glorifying him, for building the kingdom, or can be used in our own hands for selfish desires. The tools in our hands, the things that we have, perhaps a cell phone or position at work, perhaps the, 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 the family that we have, or maybe you are like Joseph, well-built and handsome, right? Don't, don't nudge anybody if they're next to you. They probably already know. But we are granted things that certainly, in, in many cases, become targets, which Satan attempts to try to embrace, right? He sees your bank account and he says, you know what, I'm going to use that to build pride. I'm going to use that to attempt to try to use that to invest it in things that are not of God. And so therefore, he, he recognizes the gifts that you and I have, whether they're natural or whether they're things that are earned or things that are gifted to us from other people uh, through the power of God. And certainly in all of these things, we recognize in the midst of, of the temptation, in the midst of the attempts to pollute, that Joseph stood firm. Right? Joseph stood firm even in the midst of the temptations. He refused the temptation of Potiphar's wife. He affirmed his power, authority, and responsibility. He recognized the position he was in and still said no to the temptations that were before him. But he also affirmed his limitations. Get this, kind of reminiscent of the garden, right? I can have anything I want, but I can't, I can't eat from this tree, right? Remember Adam and Eve talking about the, the, this tree, this one thing God said no. And, and in the same place, Joseph saying, I can, I can do anything I want here in the palace, but he told me his wife is off limits. And so therefore, this, this power limitation also recognizes that he's not all powerful, but he does have some authority. In that authority, he submits to the one who does have all power. He's been called to steward much, and he didn't want to use those things. He didn't want to, to, to wield those things to, to sin against God or to do things his own way. He recognized his position and how he holds this high call, and God holds this high call for all of us. A high call where we can use the gifts that we have to, to, to hurt others, or we can use them to glorify God. He was tempted in verse 10, and it says there, day after day. Day after day, she tempted him. And how, how did he stand up? How did he stand firm to take out the trash? Secondly, is this to know the truth and resist the devil, right? And, and that's the reality of it. We see Jesus in the, in, the, in the desert, right? He's tempted by Satan. And what's the thing that he uses as the, as the sword and shield? He uses the word of God. He uses the inspired word of God to be able to, to quote to the, to the evil one, this is the truth. And when we know the truth, we know God's word, we have this power to, to allow him to speak in us and through us so that we might be his mouthpiece. We might be his strength. When you don't know the truth, it's easy to fall for anything, right? When you don't know the truth and you don't know what you're grasping onto, it's easy to fall into temptation because you don't know if it's right or wrong. I can tell you right now, we live in a world where right and wrong have been blurred. We live in a world right now where right is actually told to us it's wrong. And where wrong is not only right, but it's celebrated. 
And so if you're going by any other standard besides Scripture, you're not going to know what is true and what is not. And so to know the truth means to invest yourself in the things of God so that he might be able to give you the power and the knowledge and the understanding to be able to resist the devil. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourself then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You know, when the Guides of Helps of Holy Living we just walked through speaks of gambling and, and, and substance abuse and organizations that don't uh, see God as their authority, these are specific situations where obviously there's a little bit of gray area in some of this. Well, what, you know, in the consumption of alcohol, what is actually wrong and what's not wrong? Well, well, as long as I don't get drunk, am I okay? Well, the reality is this. In all of these types of instances, there, there's not necessarily a hard and fast, this is the specific way, but there is the heart of it, a recognition of what it means to give Satan a foothold in your life. And without sounding legalistic, what I will say is if there's something in your life that you know Satan can, can use or utilize to get a foothold, then don't do it. Resist it by allowing his truth to embrace. So if you know that when you get online and you scroll at a certain time of night at 10 o'clock or later, and you know that you're, it's going to cause you to be tempted, I just tell you right now, don't do it. If you know that you, if you have a, a sip of alcohol and you know that it's going to lead to drinking a whole bottle and then another and then another and then you're going to getting drunk, guess what? Don't do it. All right, pastor, move on. That's enough. Now, these may not seem like bad things on their own, but certainly they can lead to things where Satan can move and divide and bring forth his own will in our lives. And so the reality is that there are things in your life that cause you to stumble, things in your life where Satan is gaining or grasping a foothold, don't do them. And finally, the third one, I'm going to reread this. In verse 11 and 12, it reads like this. One day he went into the house. Just like any other day, Joseph's going into the house, but something's a little different. He goes into the house to attend to his duties, to attend to his chores, right? And none of the household servants was inside. Potiphar's wife says she caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. See, this time things are a little bit different. He, he recognizes early on in the story, he recognizes a real conflict taking place. And early on, earlier before this, there were servants there, things were going on, it was kind of the regular. But this time he recognizes things are different. He recognizes that something is different. Potiphar's wife has set things up so that she could attempt to trap him. She sent the other servants away. She made a situation where she could, she could do whatever she wanted to do. And, and, and the reality is he realized that he couldn't stand against that anymore. And the response was that Joseph ran away. He left his earthly possessions behind and he ran away. He didn't linger and attempt to try to fight it out. He didn't keep scrolling. He didn't continue to, to entertain an unhealthy relationship at work or, or on Facebook. He didn't visit that home or that establishment one more time. He didn't try it one more time. Say, okay, we'll see what happens. Instead, he ran away. And the reality is this, run from what is evil. Run from what is evil. And that is clear. Run from what is evil. What is evil? Evil is anything that we recognize as counter to the will of God, the goodness of God, the light of God. 
and we see that in our life. We don't entertain it. We don't allow it to fester. We don't let it get the opportunity to be able to get a foothold. Instead, we run away from it. And I say that knowing that some of us work in an environment or maybe are, are in a home where things, where temptations are there, where you, you, you have specific things every single day. And certainly we, we hearken back to the reality that, that Joseph was able to live in that world, understanding God is the authority, understanding God is the one who gives and grants all of his power uh, through the, the, the power of his word and through the power of, and the presence of his Holy Spirit. But we also realize that sometimes things are set against us. And in those instances, we run away. And what does this look like? Certainly it's, it's, it's summer, and so that means it's, it's, it's shark movie season, right? Everybody likes to watch a shark movie before they go to the beach. It looks like not dangling your feet over the side of the boat or over the dock. And we laugh about that, but, but, but certainly sometimes that's what we do, right? We kind of dangle our feet in the water, and we say, well, I can't see what's underneath the water. I'm sure it's okay. Water feels cool on my feet. It's a nice summer day. Everything's going to be fine. We don't realize there's a predator under there who wants nothing more than to destroy us. I'm not giving sharks a bad rap. I love sharks. I know that's not, they're not meat eaters, or they're not man eaters. I get that. But I'm just saying, certainly evil and the temptation that comes from it is always present. So what are the repercussions from, from Joseph running away? You might be wondering, you know, he ran away. What happened next? Did he lose his job? Did he get in trouble? Perhaps you know the story and you recognize Joseph's plight. Let me just say, in the short term, he was accused of seduction anyway. And he found himself thrown in prison again. And so here we see that he was punished again. You know, he was, he's back in bondage again. He was, he was already sold once and he, he was elevated to this place. Now all of it was taken away from him. In the long term, as he trusted God and he followed his call, Joseph found favor once again. And he came to a place once again where he was elevated to a position of power, of influence. And with this position and through a series of different circumstances, Joseph achieves a reconciliation with his family, with his brothers who had literally sold him to slavery. He found this reconciliation with them and protected them from the famine that was to come. Even bigger picture, eventually his family grew too big in Egypt and they were enslaved once again. They were enslaved once again and then a man came along named Moses with his brother Aaron and under the power and the, and the, and, and the call of God, they brought these chosen people out of bondage. And, and there we recognize the symbology for us as followers of Jesus who also get to experience coming out of bondage as, as we step forward and allow God to break the chains in our lives. You see, God's provision, his reconciliation, his love were proclaimed once again. And God's ways, once again, are bigger than our ways. And certainly Joseph didn't get to see all the things to come, but he was part of God's plan and he served and he did what God called him to do in his time. In fact, Genesis 50, uh, in Genesis 50, verses 19 and 20, Joseph's reassurance to his brothers is recorded. It says, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives, of many lives. Last, we discussed this reality that we need to think about what's good. Last week, we talked about what it meant to think on the things of God, the things that, that God grants for us, the things that God does in our lives. And so what is good, whatever is good, I should say, is the context, the core of, of his message. And that is this, what Satan means for harm, God uses for good. 
What Satan means for harm in our lives, God uses for good. Look at temptation as a means of growth. In fact, in James 1, 2 through 4, it reads like this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I know it's tough. When you think about it, you're going through a trial, you think, oh, wow, this is a great time. I'm going to get to learn to persevere. I love this. Probably not. But can I tell you, that's what God is doing. That's what he is embracing. He's bringing opportunity for you and I to experience his goodness. There's another prominent story in scripture that talks about this same type of redemption that Joseph walked through, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And if this is your church home, you recognize that the first week of every uh, month, we, uh, we have the opportunity, we facilitate the opportunity together to engage in what Christ established so many years ago as the Lord's Supper or communion. And the Lord's Supper is a time where we come together and we recognize the sacrifice that God made for us by sending his son Jesus Jesus, a man who is fully God and fully man, two natures who came to this planet so that you and I might experience the pleasure of living in the presence of God. So that you might, and I might experience what it means to truly live in this context of light, of holiness, of his goodness. As we embrace this, this time together, if you've not been here before, I want you to know that there's no uh, prerequisite for you to be able to, to engage in our communion moment together. You don't have to be a member. You don't have to have a certain attendance record. Instead, the one requirement we recognize as an open table mentality is that certainly all of us here today would do so within the name of God as his children. And so if you know Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord and Savior, this is for you. But at the same time, if you don't know Christ, this could be your moment. This could be your morning. This could be your day. I don't know how anybody came in here today. I don't know if you came in with a, with a chip on your shoulder, with a burden to carry. I don't know if you came in full of pride or fear, or maybe you came in full of joy and excitement, whatever it might be. If you came in here today and you are far from God, or maybe a step away, maybe you've, you've, you've in no way given him your heart and in no way embraced the salvation he has for you today, I can just tell you right now, this can be your moment. Like Joseph, you can run from the things of this world, leaving them behind with little care, recognizing that it's not always going to be about the prosperity. I am not going to get everything I want coming to Christ. I can tell you right now, oftentimes you won't get what you want. But God will grant wants in your heart and in your mind, and then those will be the things you, get, you receive. But in all of it, he'll glorify himself and allow us to live in his presence, his peace, his joy, and his hope. And so I'll say this, in just a moment, I'm going to pray to consecrate the elements. The ushers are going to come forward. And uh, just so you know, they'll, they'll, they'll distribute the elements. And then I'm going to ask you to hold on to those. And we'll all together, we'll, we'll take those together in communion in that communion moment. But as I pray, I'm, I'm, going to just, I'm going to give the opportunity just once again. And certainly, I'm not even required for that. Certainly, it's between you and Christ. But if you want to take a moment and you want to give your heart to Christ, you say, you know what, I've never received him. This is the, this is the moment you can. And, and I, I would urge you to do so because we're not guaranteed another moment. And certainly I know, and, and perhaps many in here know that when you say no to the Holy Spirit, sometimes that voice gets a little quieter the next time and the next time and the next time. At the same time as you receive the elements, if you'd like to come forward and kneel at the altars, you can do so. If you want to kneel at your seat, you can do that. 
This is a time for us to be able to receive him. And, and as the, the elements are distributed, one of the things that I recognize and hopefully you do too is this is a time of reflection. Reflecting upon places or things in our life that God's saying, hey, I, I want that thing. I want you to give away this trash. I want you to take this trash and just put it aside. Because I've got something greater for you. Perhaps you recognize this, but when you get rid of the trash, it leaves a void. It leaves a space. You take that trash, you get rid of that smelliness, you get rid of all those things that are, that are just, have no use, no value, and it leaves a space. And that space specifically, at least for us spiritually, is what God wants to fill with his goodness. So would you let him do that this morning? I ask the ushers to come. I'm going to pray to consecrate these elements and for those in here today that would like to take a step forward. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. Without it, God, we've got nothing to say. Without it, God, we've got nothing to embrace because your spirit gives us the opportunity to know the good news, to know the gospel, to know the truth. And God, may we live lives that are reflecting of your goodness or reflecting of the things that you have for us. God, may we live lives, God, not necessarily to attempt to try to earn your good graces or to do the things that, that you want us to do because we want to make you happy. May we do so, God, as an outcome of the way that we reflect and we reveal our love for you. God, we thank you so much for the way that you embrace us. We thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. We ask God in this time, in this place, that you would come, that you would, you would just allow each one of us to experience you in a fresh and a new way. Certainly we know you're here, but we, we invite you in. We, we throw out the trash, God, so to speak, so that you might fill that void. I pray for those that are here now that may not know you, God, that you would just wrap your arms around them, that this would be a time, a moment where they could say yes to you. And perhaps even in that, there's a little bit of worry or, or, or recognition. They don't have all the answers, don't know exactly what it is, but God, may they recognize that they are a sinner. And without you, they'll be lost in eternity forever, separated from God in a place of anguish. And so God, may you reveal your truth, your goodness, your love, your provision. And may the decision be made, God, not hastily, but may, may be made wholeheartedly to say, God, I, I recognize I can't do this. I receive your gift of salvation. I receive your son's sacrifice. Father, we pray that you would use this time of communion, of, the Lord, of engaging and embracing the Lord's Supper together as a means, as a way to glorify you and to edify each other, your church. God, may you consecrate these elements, Father. Make them holy in your presence, in your sight. Your son's precious and perfect and holy name that we pray. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.